Hello, I'm Alec, and this is Scandal 101. Hello, how are you doing? I am very excited for this episode because there is a lot. I just learned a lot while doing research and I am so excited to share with you. I really don't have anything to update you on other than the normal. Um, If you want the show notes, those can be found at scandal101podcast.podbean.com. I'm going to do better about citing my sources during the podcast so you can hear them, but you can also find all of the sources cited at the show notes as well. Without further ado, I'm going to jump right into this episode which I have titled Delta Kappa Epsilon, A Fraternity of Scandals and Prestige. I do want to say before I start this episode that I am in no way slamming Greek life or slamming Delta Kappa Epsilon. I am simply reporting facts of scandals that have happened in chapters of the Delta Kappa Epsilon fraternity across the United States and the world. I do not think that this represents their organization as a whole. I think that a lot of good can come out of Greek life. I was involved in Greek life in college, and I was lucky enough to have a wonderful experience, and I'm sure many people do, and a lot of good comes out of Greek life, but there are scandals that happen, and all of these scandals are related to Delta Kappa Epsilon. Again, I am just reporting the facts as they were reported of what happened. I will interject my opinion throughout the podcast as I normally do, which I will say when my opinion is being stated. Once again, I do not think this represents Delta Kappa Epsilon as a whole. I am just reporting facts of what has happened over time. Now that that is out of the way, I'm going to give you some background on Delta Kappa Epsilon, which I'm going to be calling DEKE because their abbreviation is D-K-E, and in multiple of my sources, I found that it was pronounced as DEKE. But it's important for you to get background, and just so you can have an appreciation of how long this fraternity has been around, and then I will jump into the prestige and the history of scandals that this has. Alrighty, so Deke was founded on June 22nd, 1844 at Yale University as Delta Kappa Epsilon, and this is from Delta Kappa Epsilon's uh, just main webpage. The motto of the fraternity is, quote, friends from the heart forever, end quote. A quote from their website is, Deke International Headquarters has made a shift in focus from a heavy emphasis on liability and policy to an approach that encompasses the fundamental obligation to, quote, do the right thing, end quote, and how to meet that obligation, end quote. I think it's awesome that the international organization is wanting to focus on doing the right thing because after hearing about the I guess we'll say events that I'm going to be talking about throughout this podcast, it seems like I could understand why there was a huge focus on liability when you hear all of these cases, and I think it's important to the organization that people think about doing the right thing because it seems like a lot of people that I'm going to be mentioning didn't think about doing the right thing and didn't do the right thing, for for that matter. Like most Greek and fraternal organizations, they do have a lot of standards that chapters must abide by, and one of them is a hazing policy standard that there's really no tolerance for it. 
Um, coming from the Deke policy, it says that, quote, no member or organization shall conduct hazing activities, end quote. And this includes things such as reasonable harm, degrading, illegal activity, and stuff like that. Now that we understand that Deke has a pretty rich history in terms of just longevity and kind of what they're wanting to do in terms of policy moving forward, let's look at why it's known for its prestige. Deke has a long, long history of prestige that includes five U.S. presidents, technically six, but one of them was, I think it it said he was removed because he was a double brother and that wasn't allowed, but the five confirmed presidents are Rutherford B. Hayes, Teddy Roosevelt, Gerald Ford, George H.W. Bush, and George W. Bush. And this information comes from pretty much any Deke site you go on, as well as their Wikipedia page, and when you search up just Deke presidents on Google, like, that list of five comes up. So it's, that, that information is everywhere. If having five U.S. presidents wasn't enough prestige for you, they have also had three vice presidents, Dan Quayle, and then two presidents who were listed before, Teddy Roosevelt and George H.W. Bush. And again, this comes from pretty much any Deke site that you can find. I got it off of the Wikipedia page because I used it as a starting place for a lot of my research, but I did double-check those names on Deke sites, and they are confirmed there as well. Some other notable alumni of Deke is J.P. Morgan. Current Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh, Dick Clark, who hosted New Year's Rockin' Eve for uh, many years, 40 U.S. Senators, and that comes from uh, the source called Prominent Deeks, over 130 U.S. Representatives, including four House Speakers, many company founders and leaders, such as William W. Wrigley, founder of Wrigley Gum, as well as many prominent figures such as Tom Landry, who was the first coach of the Dallas Cowboys. The reason that I am letting you know about the history and the prestige of this fraternity is, one, because the fraternity seems to be very proud of it because it is plastered all over their websites. I went to their headquarter website, their a lot of chapter websites, and I could find many of these names in many of those places. But I also want to give an idea of how well established this fraternity is before we actually dig into a lot of these scandals. Do I think a lot of these people are tied in with these scandals? No, not at all. That is not what I'm implying. But I am saying that this fraternity is very well connected and has a lot of resources at their disposal. If a scandal arises and they need help from past alumni, they are, in my opinion, probably one of the most well-established and well-connected fraternities in the United States. That being said, we now start a long, long history of scandals. Like I said, this fraternity was established in 1844, and the first scandal we are going to be looking at takes place on June 6th in 1892. I got my information about this scandal from a law firm's website, and the post on their website was titled The Severity of Fraternity Hazing. What had happened is a pledge, and a pledge is someone who has pledged to join the fraternity, but they are not a full member, so they are currently in the process of joining. A pledge named Wilkins Rustin was blindfolded and he was brought through the streets during a fraternity initiation in the direction of Moriarty's Cafe. Um, this was an apparent uh, popular student hangout. He was instructed to run and he accidentally ran into a sharp carriage pole because he was blindfolded before he was instructed to run. Because of this, he fell unconscious and he was injured. At first, his injuries weren't thought to be too bad, but... Five days later, he died because he had suffered an intestinal rupture and died of peritonitis. 
first of all, why are people blindfolding people and telling them to run down the street? And second of all, why did anyone think this was a safe decision? I am in no way putting the blame on Wilkins Rustin. It is not his fault. From what I understand about hazing, there is an intense amount of pressure put on the people being hazed to do what they are being told. So again, I am not blaming Wilkins Rustin for what happened to him. It's unfortunate that he was a victim of hazing. I am blaming the people who blindfolded him and instructed him to do what he ended up dying from. I just don't understand why anyone thought that that would be a good idea. Like, hey, I know, let's blindfold someone, tell them to round down the street, and just see what happens. And if they do that, they can join our fraternity. What goes through your mind and makes you think that that's okay? Again, I'm not trashing Deke, but I am trashing hazing because I don't, I don't understand it. It does not make sense to me. Moving on from that sad case, we go about 70 years into the future, and this one is super interesting because it involves one of our U.S. presidents. This took place at Yale, which again is where Deke was founded, and it deals with U.S. President George W. Bush, and at the time he was a college student, so way before he was a president, but he was a former president of the chapter that this scandal takes place in, and he was a current member of the fraternity at the time. I got my information about this particular scandal from a Yale Daily News article written by Chow and Merkinson, and it's really, really good. The story of this scandal originally broke on November 3rd, 1967, and in this article, there was a photo of a, quote, naked backside, end quote, with a half-inch D-shaped branding in the person's skin. Again, I will never understand, especially when you are physically altering someone's body to, what, show their dedication to the fraternity? I don't know. Obviously, it does not look good if your fraternity is shed in the light of hazing people, especially branding people. So there was a lot of interest in this on the Yale campus. And the next day, future President Bush said that the branding was, quote, insignificant, end quote. I have thoughts on that that I'm going to discuss at the end of this particular scandal. Like I said, this gained a lot of attention on the Yale campus, and the Yale Daily News wrote an article that looked into Greek life at Yale and the hazing practices at the time, but the article mainly focused on Deke because of the attention that this got, and also it's one of the most prominent fraternities on campus and in history. This article talked to a number of people, and one of them was an anonymous pledge to Deke, and they said that, quote, by that time, and it was talking about the branding, my body was so numb from the beatings that the iron felt good, like a match was being held close to my body, end quote. The two authors of the article that I looked at did a really good in-depth look at this and said, quote, Albert Evans, who was a college acquaintance of Bush's and the president of the Interfraternity Council in 1967, said the majority of Deke's Rush's activities at the time were performed in the spirit of good fun and camaraderie, end quote. Albert Evans said, quote, what Deke was doing was clearly outside the rules, and they were sanctioned for that. At the same time, it wasn't of the order that somebody got killed, end quote. A New York Times article by Kristoff found that former fraternity members said that the recruits were paddled, battered, and shown a large brand that was in a fire. They were then turned around and branded with a smaller brand while the large brand was put into water to make a loud sizzling noise. Okay, I have many thoughts. First of all, 
President Bush's comments on branding being insignificant, I completely and 100% disagree with. Any alteration to my body, I want to choose myself. For example, I have tattoos. I chose and I paid for those tattoos and those were done voluntarily. If someone brands me with anything, especially hot metal into my skin, and you tell me that's insignificant, that the thought of that makes me want makes whoa i'm i'm pressed the thought of that makes my head want to explode also the fact that a pledge said that the iron felt good on his skin because his body was so numb because of the beatings what possesses a person to harm another person just because they want to what prove that that person is dedicated to this organization that is very significant at the college level are you kidding me? Why? What goes through your brain that makes you think that's okay? Physically harming someone is not okay. What makes people think that that is an acceptable practice? And it still goes on today. There's a lot more light on hazing. There, you know, there are policies in place, but everyone who is in Greek life whether you've seen hazing, whether you've experienced hazing, I was lucky enough to not experience it in Greek life, but I know it exists. It happened at the school that I was at. It happened to people that I know. Why do people think that this is okay? Not all of these scandals have to do with hazing, but this one is pretty prominent. Last thing I want to say about this specific scandal, the fact that there was not only physical abuse, but also just psychological and mental abuse toward people. They were physically branded, but they also put a large brand in water while you were branded with a smaller brand to, to what, instill fear that you were being branded with this huge hot iron brand. I wish the branding didn't happen at all. I'm glad that the, it, you know, I'm glad that they were not branded with the large iron, but why go the extra mile to instill the fear by dipping it in water and making it sizzle loudly? Physical trauma heals, you know, skin replenishes itself, your skin can heal, but psychological and mental abuse can be around literally forever. I bet there are people who were who went through this process that are still dealing with repercussions of that, and that may seem overdramatic, but I guarantee you, people who are hazed will never, ever forget it and will never forget the fear that they felt. And people at the college level chose to do this to other people. That is not and never will be okay. Moving on from that really, really frustrating case, we move to 1983, where Yale, we're back at Yale, Yale banned Deke activities, but they were allowed to return a year later off campus. And I tried really, really hard to find what happened. The only information I could find on this was on the Wikipedia page. And the source that they had for it, the link literally just would not load. I sat there for 10 minutes. So I really couldn't find what happened, but they were banned activity-wise for a year, but we're allowed to return the next year. The next one is one that makes my blood just 
Boyle. This scandal takes place in 1987 at Tulane University, which is in New Orleans, Louisiana. Members of the Deke fraternity, they were uh, wanting to make fun of the sociocultural traditions of New Orleans like any other good person would. Heavy on the sarcasm there. And they called this event the Debutramp Parade, which, first of all, you know, real classy of you, Debutramp, very creative. And also, many of the members of the fraternity went out to the streets in blackface, which, as we all know, is just a common college experience. I'm sure that many of you have experienced. Didn't didn't you go out in the streets with your fraternity in blackface? No? Oh, right. Maybe it's because you're not a trash human being. Again, this was in 1987, so less than 40 years ago. It did happen in the South, which is not an excuse by any means, but with the history that the United States has with race relations, with slavery, with the Confederacy, it is not surprising that in the late 80s, this behavior was displayed out in public. That is not to say that everyone in the South is a racist. That is not to say that everyone at Tulane University or even in Deke is a racist. But it is not surprising to me that this happened in the South in the late 80s where people were marching down the streets in blackface. There are photos of this event, and one of the photos I'm going to post on social media, it looks like it's a picture from a yearbook, and it has that person's name. And I was debating on whether or not to cross out the name, but then I thought, if you had enough confidence to march down the street in blackface and have it go in the yearbook, you have enough confidence for that picture to be all over social media, which I mean, it's already all over the internet, but... Yeah, so those are going to be one of the pictures that I'm going to be posting. It's a picture of this event that looks like it was put in the yearbook. Before I forget, this information comes from an article written in the Tulane Hullabaloo by um, Pierre, which also the Tulane Hullabaloo, like what a great name for a source. Like, I'm pretty sure it's a paper, but what a great name. Pierre was able to get a quote from someone who was there when this parade was happening, and this person said, quote, A member of the parade carrying a flambeau jabbed it back and forth in our direction, implying that he would burn us. This person was a class of 1989 alumna named Alandis Dobbins. They also said that, quote, The parade in both incidences were disgraceful, degrading, and a mocking to me and my heritage as an Afro-American, and justice should be served. As horrible as this case was, I couldn't find anywhere in my research that there was actually any punishment handed out. So basically, people of that chapter of Deke got to be openly racist, parade through the streets, wave hot metal objects at black people, implying that they were going to burn them, and essentially got away with no punishment. Again, not saying this represents Deke as an entire organization, but this was a yearly tradition of that chapter, and that boggles my mind that that was not punished. It also brings into question, you know, part of the reason why I titled this episode as prestige is, are the reasons that these events seemingly go unpunished because of the prestige that this organization has? It has connections to presidents, vice presidents, senators, representatives. You know, I'm not saying that any of those people directly 
support these actions, but it does bring into question, you know, if someone's wanting to take on this organization, you're going to be fighting a large, large entity. And, you know, my, I would assume that Deke does not condone these actions. And I don't, you know, I can't speak for what they thought in 1987. They certainly don't today based on what's on their website, their diversity, equity, and inclusion statements. But it just brings into question, you know, how come so many of these incidents were allowed to happen and seemingly there was little punishment for those people? Just something interesting to think about. Before we go into this last scandal, I can't believe I'm saying last already because I have a lot more. And I know at the beginning I said I wanted to try and fit this all in one episode, but there is just no way because there is a lot of important information about these scandals. And a lot of them, especially in the second part, are pretty shocking. And I wanted to make sure you got the full information that I could find on these first scandals. So there will be a part two to this episode. And if you thought these scandals were pretty shocking, the ones in part two, in my mind, are way, way worse. Alrighty, for this last scandal, we are in the year of 1989, and I got my information for this one off of a Schenectady Gazette article by Hamilton, as well as a Washington Post article um, from 1989. We are at Virginia Tech, and the Washington Post called this incident a, quote, racially tinged hazing incident, end quote. What happened in this one resulted in Virginia Tech terminating the registration of Deke and its affiliation with the university, as well as the vice president of student affairs at the time, said that they would be sending letters to Deke's national headquarters and ask for the chapter to get their charter revoked. You might be thinking, what happened to make all of those punishments come down on this chapter? Well, what happened is two pledges were off campus at another campus at a party and one white pledge of Deke went up to a black woman at that party and asked if he could kiss her while another pledge from Deke back at Virginia Tech photographed it. Which already, that's weird. Why do you want to get a picture of you kissing someone random? I don't get that, but that's weird. First, just right off the bat, that's weird. After some prodding, it came out that the white pledge was apparently directed to, quote, do something unusual on the trip, and have the action photographed, end quote. So essentially, this white person wanted to get a photograph of him kissing a black woman because he was directed to get a photo of something unusual. So basically, his thing was, oh, it would be unusual for me to kiss a black woman, so let me get a photo of that. Like, are you kidding me? Wh what makes you think that that isn't any in any way okay as a reminder these two pledges from deke at virginia tech were at another campus at a party when this happened and when the woman the not only the woman who was to be in the picture but friends of the woman learned what happened there were arguments that broke out and the uh, virginia tech pledges had to be led off campus which honestly i'm surprised they weren't just chased off campus because if that happened to any of my friends i I don't, I don't want to put myself in the headspace where I imagine that happens to any of my friends, but I can imagine how angry I would be. And I, if, if I were 
in those shoes, those people would be running off campus because all of my friends, we, they would have to run very quickly to get out of that situation. Like I said, the chapter was punished. Uh, Virginia Tech terminated the registration of Deke and its affiliation with the university. The vice president sent letters to the national headquarters to ask for their charter to be revoked. And apparently with part of the organization's punishment, the house was ordered to be shut down. But guess what? The house was never shut down. The chapter continued its operations despite the ban, and the chapter was reinstalled in the mid-1990s because of the influential Deke alumni and university donors. Again, that brings up the thing I talked about earlier, those influential alumni and university donors. When you have five presidents, three, I think, vice presidents, and all of those influential members of society who have been alumni of this fraternity, it's not hard to understand why events like this can continue to happen. And that is where I'm going to end part one of this two-part series. Again, I'm not saying that this represents Greek life as a whole, that this represents Delta Kappa Epsilon as a whole, but I am saying that these events happened and I am reporting on them as they happened because they are scandals, they are interesting, and most importantly, they should be told so that way awareness can be brought to them and that they and so that they don't happen again. Because like I said earlier, part two is going to reveal some more shocking and I think worse scandals than what I talked about in this part. But these need to be told so that an awareness is brought up that this is not acceptable and that it should not happen again. Like I did for the last two-part series, I'm going to be posting part two on Monday so you don't have to wait a whole week. I want to thank you so much for listening to part one. If you would like to keep up with the latest, follow on social media. On Instagram, the handle is at Scandal101Podcast. On Twitter, it is at Scandal101Pod. And on Facebook, if you search Scandal101Podcast, you should find our Facebook page. Like I said at the beginning, our website is Scandal101Podcast.Podbean.com, where you can listen to the episode. You can find a link tree to wherever else you want to listen to the episode, and it also links out to the show notes. Again, I want to thank you so much for listening, and this has been episode 5 of Scandal 101.